we did it. But as always, we require some kind of external validation. People need to tell us that we exist. And can people hear you? Can I get a sound check from you? Mystery uh, guest? There you go. That should oh, do. There we go. You can hear oh, I see. Yeah, turn that off, man. Let me mute it. You let me mute it. Yeah, you're gonna go into some kind of spiral and tear apart the fabric of the I universe. To, Is it's it? Too interesting. I, I can't. Well, and watch. if you watch that, then you could get some tips of what kinds of things you're going to answer in the future. No, that's not how this works. Oh no, I have to reactivate Nightbot. Oh, Nightbot. I will totally reactivate Nightbot. Nightbot is the is the thin purple line that protects us. The thin purple line. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'll totally enable Nightbot. Go ahead, Nightbot. Nightbot online. <laughs> Are you under a chair? Sergio Botero asks. No, it's an antique bed. With like some kind of like fabric along the top and yeah, banisters on the sides, it's, and it's very elaborate and um, ridiculous. I'll one of these days I'll put a. My house is full of antiques and weird stuff. Yeah. Um, so I. Yeah, you never mentioned know. that last time we chatted, right? Yeah, I was. I think I had my mummy cases behind me then. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. So this this time it's my monstrous bed. Yeah. Uh, well, how's it going, man? Good. I I um I can't complain. How about you? Uh, really good. Well, I, I mentioned this. I mean, people have noticed that I've been uh, not as active on my YouTube channel, and that's mostly because I've been traveling like a maniac. Uh, I was in uh, man Hawaii and uh, Alabama and California and Texas and the Caribbean and Australia and and on and on and on. And I, f I feel like I've been traveling nonstop, and so. But I don't have any more travels now for another three months until uh, we've got the Costa Rica trip. And then in June, we're going to be together uh, yes. for the first time in at uh, Joshua Tree. We're going to be uh, hanging out with people and uh, watching the night sky with a whole bunch of telescopes. So that's yes. All-Stars yes. Party. All-Stars Party, yep. So definitely check that out if you want. Go to astrotours.co. We will. Uh, you can find out more information about the All Stars Party. I'm going to be there. Uh, Skylius is going to be there. Dr. Pamela Gay, Paul Sutter, um, me, John. You can you can JMG. come and hang out with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, so this is our open space, of course. This is where we just chat with each other and with you about stuff that's been percolating in your brains, new pieces of news. You guys set the agenda. We will jump, use that as a jumping off point to talk about the things that interest you. So hit us up. You can see good old Nightbot has shown us what the question looks like. And that's a great way to get my attention as I'm looking at all of the, uh, the chat that's going by. But uh, but go ahead. Let us let us know what you want to hear about. So what has been gripping your imagination in the last couple of weeks? Ultima Thule. Yeah. Has been, that has been the one that I've been at the edge of my seat about. Um, just waiting for more pictures to come down. And uh, well, you were on the same. I was on the same live stream you were with yep. uh, Dr. Rady. 
and um it was just exciting it was a great way to spend new year's but now i'm just waiting for more images and i guess we're gonna have images coming through for a very long time now but um but that's been the, the what's what's captured my attention yeah it was it's I mean, it's an amazing object to see um, this contact binary, these two little ice blobbies that had rotated around each other and merged together into this space um, dumbbell uh, peanut. Um, uh, and and to see and just to know that this is like the most distant object that that human beings have explored. And it's just the beginning, right? We are. Uh, it's just a tiny fraction of the total amount of data that's going to be coming back to Earth over the next 20 months is how long it's going to take. So, Yeah, and we, we're going to have data about the geology, which I'm particularly interested in because these types of objects tend to have organics. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the chemical profile of the of the object because that has implications on the origins of life, of course. Yeah, I mean, they found organics on the surface of Pluto, Charon. They found similar structures on uh, 67P, which Rosetta saw. I mean, it really feels like these things are everywhere, which, again, comes back to this question, like, where is everything? If we can find all of the building blocks all over the universe for life, it's amazing uh, uh, that we don't <laughs> we haven't found them yet. But we'll yeah, it, it really is. But, I mean, that that's one thing that in the next 25 years, I think will change. Um, we'll either find a microbe or something like that, that Europa or maybe signal. Um, one never knows. Yeah. But I think with, I think within 25 years, we'll have found something, some indicator. 25 uh, years. I think about 25 years. That's I'm betting. I have no reason to say that other than just as betting on it, but it just seems to me that there's enough stuff going on. Um, well, another aspect of this would be the, the scientists that are looking into um, like the uh, Miller-Urey experiments where they wanted to see just how, you know, how does life form? And I think eventually, you know, a microbe will come out of a test tube and then we will be able to say, well, this is easy or it's really hard. And um, if it turns out that it's really easy, then we can look at the universe and say, yeah, probably everywhere. It's probably everywhere. And then, of yeah. course, where is it? But, right. you know, we're, we don't need to debate the Fermi paradox again. Again, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so Jorn Albert is asking, um, oh, wait, Zachary Fluke says, someone doesn't know who JMG is. Oh, man, I guess I should do that. Right, of course. Who are you? Me? Um, I am a science YouTuber and an author, science fiction author. Um, and... Uh, effectively that's it <laughs> <laughs> well we were it's talking about this before right um you know obviously john michael godier has one of the best channels on youtube he's prolific produces tons of amazing videos about exactly the kinds of stuff that i'm totally interested in so many that i don't have time to watch even a fraction of his videos but i see the topics and i'm like oh that would be a great video to watch if i had the time um but uh you know extrasolar life and and a lot of the interesting research that comes up in in the nooks and crannies which is the same kind of stuff that i'm really fascinated in not the not the stuff that's going to get a lot of play although you do after that stuff as well but i think you do a great job of of tracking down some of the original research reports and studies and stuff you know that's that's posted to the journals and that's where the real meat is yeah absolutely and i of course i cite the papers in 
yeah. the uh, videos so that people know, you know, where the, the source material came from. And then I'm also a talk show host. I have a show called Event Horizon. It's yeah. It's second channel. You were recently on it. And you're killing it with that as well. Yeah. Um, that, that, that one definitely has worked out very well. Uh, yeah. We're, we're very happy with, with Event Horizon. And as a matter of fact, my, my associates from that show are in the chat, I think. Um, but that's, that comes out every Thursday. And we're going to be doing another exhaustive two-hour, two-plus-hour chat with Avi Loeb this month oh, great so that's going to be the next uh, the next uh specifically on the topic of a muamua and um that will be the next one so lots lots planned uh so ghost world asks uh what do you think about china's landing on pink floyd's dark side of the moon so how do you feel about about that bold landing on the dark side of the moon of pink floyd on the dark side of the moon, I don't even like that word. Um, I, I, did, is everyone having to work in overtime now? Like everyone in the space community, even the people that are watching this, are you having to tell your friends it's the far side, it's not the dark side, the far it's the side far side, it's not the dark side? Yeah, you just get a little bored of, of bringing it up. In fact, that's exactly how I'm going to – I'm doing a, working on a video about, about this, and that's how I'm going to intro it. It's like, are you tired? Well, buckle up because there's going to be some amazing science that's coming. Yes, my um, my view on it in space is the more the merrier. So the more countries that are are doing science in space, the better. And I don't care who does it. Um, so I'm I, I would say congratulations, China, for you know landing on the far side of the moon. Yeah, I'm, I almost just said the dark side of the moon. I know, I know. And um, thanks, so Pink I, Floyd. From that, from that sense, um, it's it's just that where i get where i get a little bit scared is when people want to militarize space which i guess that's already happened yeah. but yeah you know it's already shouldn't go that far with it's already that. well happened right. it's as mil so. space is as militarized as is allowed by the treaties that uh, that attempt to enforce this kind of thing but no more well it's even we've even one of the nuclear tests may have been high enough to be in space i'm not sure <laughs> but it, i know it disrupted the magnetosphere severely yeah. and caused uh an EMP in uh, Honolulu, but it also caused the a humongous, crazy red aurora, and you can see pictures of that. But there was, yeah, there was actually a nuclear weapon has been detonated at or near the edge of space. So that almost broke the Outer Space Treaty. Yeah, that's the big thing the Outer Space Treaty is all about, is like no nukes in space, no nuclear weapons in space, no nuclear-powered super soldiers in space, no nuclear test facilities in space, no uh, um, non-nuclear but kinetic weapons in space, no methods of mass destruction in space, please. Right, that right. Is, so you can do anything you want as long as you don't have ways to send nukes to space. Right. I, I, I sort of have the old Star Trek view that if you're going to go to space, do it as the whole species, mm -hmm. you know, and cooperate and do all of that sort of thing. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a science fiction author. What, yeah. what would you expect? Yeah. Um, so it's it's so for me, I, I'm I'm keenly watching it. And then um, I, I hope they're completely successful in their science. In fact, um, I think the sun. They're all they've already I think the sun is a straight up violation of the Outer Space Treaty. The sun, yeah, giant uh, reoccurring fusion reaction is probably in violation. Yeah, as is most much of the universe. Much of the universe is in a direct yeah. violation of the outer space treaty. Yep, it's just you know, I think watch out, space. We're going to uh, in the future uh, demilitarize you. Yes.
Um, so, this, so this, I mean, disarm the sun. You have this great thought, right? Like, all, let's all go to space. If any, if any one of us goes to space, we've all gone to space. If China has gone to space, then mm-hmm. humanity has gone to space. That's correct. And humanity yes. is crawling around on the far side of the moon right now. Right now, and and as well as Mars. Um, you know, so I mean, we have active probes. Let's see, where do we have active probes right now? Um, the Parker Solar Probe on its way to the Sun. You've got right. Bepi Colombo on its way to Mercury. You've got yep. um, the uh, oh man. You've got Hayabusa, which is at Ryugu. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Osiris Rex, which is at Bennu. You've got just all manner of spacecraft which are yeah, crawling and, or and orbiting and... Mars. Everything you've got, you've still got the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter at the moon. Um, you've got the Chinese or- lander and now the Chinese uh, orbiter that's at the far side of the moon. Uh, you've got Juno at Jupiter. And you've got New Horizons, which is on its way out, of course. You've also got the uh, the Voyagers, which you know are. Oh the yeah, last a, they're still they're still going. I don't think the pioneers are. No, the are pioneers the, are dead. Yeah, yeah, I think those are dead. Yeah, but the Voyagers are still active, and then of course New Horizons is looking for a new target, possibly. Yeah. So we could get more out of that probe. Um, yet another Kuiper Belt object. Yeah, but do you think that, like. I mean, the Chinese have said that it is absolutely their ambition to send humans to the moon. They have a plan. They are executing on that plan. This is another step in the plan. If you look at their logo, it is a human footstep in the moon, right? That is the yes. that is their, you know, the whole program is to send human beings to the moon. Do you think right. that that you know, if they actually do set foot on the moon? Does this cause, I mean, you know, like people are saying, like, it's a new space race, or do you think that other countries will just seed, you know, like America already did it, man. Like, who cares? Like, it's already done. There's already like, by all means, go and visit the flags that are already there. That's exactly right. And it ultimately, I don't think that the moon holds much industrial value. Uh, People talk about helium three and all that, but I'm pretty skeptical of uh, that, that would be worth it. So there's not really anything on the moon that's useful industrial-wise, and I don't know that it has any sort of strategic um, use. So to me, it's just planting flags, um, and I don't care who plants a flag on it, uh, yeah. you know, just as long as I don't remove mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Leave yeah. all artifacts you, in place. You guys get the credit. You did it. You pulled it off. Our, our, we tip our hats to you, America. Well, we needed Canada for it and the shuttle program. You know, so sure, sure. You know, you got a you got a few of our best astronauts, a bunch of robotic arms. We're glad to help. Um, very large robotic arms. I've seen one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But the uh, you know when you look at um, what's happening, say even with the International Space Station, right? The Americans are considering abandoning that in the mid twenty twenties, twenty twenty four, twenty twenty eight at the la- at the late latest. Right. Uh, you've got the Chinese building their version of the space station, their yes. international station, bringing on entrance from dozens of other countries uh they could be the only game in town in 10 years well i don't know um i think i i think definitely i think you're gonna see more players because you also have other countries like india 
that yeah. are you know turning their eyes towards the sky and saying, okay. Yeah, I mean, you did know. you see they've got plans for three sending three humans to space in the, in a few years? I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they'll do it. You know, they have uh, they've got their own launch platform. Um, so I, I I and I think that they're going to do interesting things because. You know, I, I sometimes I'll attend space development conferences, and you see some of the plans that come that are coming out of um, groups in India. They are amazing. Mm -hmm. So you know, um, and they're they're much they're very far reaching. You know, they want space stations and things like that. So, yeah. So again, the more the merrier. Yeah, um, I mean, they have a fully uh, self built rocket uh, whole space industry. They launch rockets every year. They've sent probes to Mars. Um, and more in the works, and now they're working on building human spaceflight capability, just like the Chinese did. Um, uh, a couple of people are mentioning, right? Israel is is building a rover. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite projects um, is this private lunar lander that's going to be going to the moon in a, just a couple of months, as soon as the next Falcon Heavy flies. Um, someone mentioned, right? There's a Japanese mission at Venus, so mm -hmm. or on its way to Venus, so. Uh, it's a very international space sort of solar system now when we rattle through all of those missions. It is, and it, it gives us tons more missions to watch. Because um, yeah. you remember, it used to just be, you know, everything was JPL, and, you know, you might have one thing every year or two or three. Now there's something to look forward to in space exploration every few months. Yep. And this is only going to get even more interesting because not only do you have uh, nation state entities you also have private entities like elon musk that you know he's gonna have to do a lot of science on mars to do what he plans and um it's not free science die. for us yeah exactly <laughs> not roll people out onto the surface of mars and watch them die horribly yeah that's 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 the one thing we don't want to happen although it probably will yeah. um if if you start sending bfrs every month to um mars something bad's going to happen but something bad happens on air travel so yeah and the longer you know the further you go along the safer it gets i saw a couple of questions about uh the james webb space telescope for you what do you think would you take james webb knowing sort of all the delays but what its capability is going to be or five hubble space telescopes uh james webb really and the reason for that is james webb is a much much bigger um aperture <laughs> so you have a much bigger you know collective mirror than hubble has um but now if you said if you could i could have a visible light hubble space telescope the size of james webb i would go for that I didn't say that no. but if it's just if it's just five more of hubble space telescopes um no but but I would do it for five Kepler spacecraft. Oh, um, if yeah. I could look at different parts of the sky with that level of, of precision and detail, enough interesting stuff and outright weird stuff showed up in the Kepler light curves that um, I would take that over yeah. JWST. That said, I'm very excited about James Webb and particularly in, in relation to what it could do as far as studying exoplanet atmospheres. Um, but it uh, ultimately, you know, it has that pall hanging over it. So my fingers are crossed, yeah. and I admit that I'm extremely worried. But um, <laughs> once it gets there, it, it's going to be 
valuable, really yeah. valuable. Yeah, one, I, I'm just working on a, a new video about the Techno Signatures Workshop. I don't know if you mm-hmm. read through the final document yep. from that. And mm-hmm. one sort of interesting little takeaway that I saw in there was James Webb could determine um, pollutants in the atmosphere of an, of an Earth-sized world around another star right. um, with two days of integration time. Yeah, that's the CFCs. Yeah, um, which are uh, for anybody that's not aware, CFCs are are the ozone destroying industrial chemicals that that damaged Earth's ozone, and we had to effectively ban them, or at least the use of them in uh, spray cans back in the eighties. And um, th- those are only industry can make them, and they are detectable. Yeah. So they 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 stand out as our best chemical techno signature or biosignature either yeah. way, either way it's a it's a techno signature not a biosignature and it, it would be a dead ringer it, whereas if you saw an exoplanet that just had lots of oxygen and methane you can say well that could be a biosphere a biosphere is a good candidate but you can't go any further than that because that can also be abiotic in origin so the the cfc's are a good one because that you're not going to find that except with a civilization and it would be a civilization that's probably doing some damage to itself um, because they're, again, it's a pollutant Um, or they might be doing the opposite. They may have filled the atmosphere with CFCs because they also happen to be an extremely powerful greenhouse gas. Right. You wanted to terraform a planet. You would, you might use that method in which case it'd be, that would be easily seen if you looked at an exoplanet that had a lot of CFCs in the atmosphere. Thanks, Mind of the North Star, um, for the ten dollars donation. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, the, this I, I'm uh, I've wrapped up the video. We're just going to shoot it tomorrow. Um, but the uh, it's very interesting to sort of see what that next round. Um, another thing that I pulled out of that, and again, I don't know if you saw this, was um, that like we can't detect uh, electro, um, you know, like. Like radio emissions coming from another civilization yet. We can only detect if they're actually targeting us with their communications. But right. with the square kilometer array, which is going to be coming in like in the mid 2020s, yep. we will be able to detect just their random emissions from them. Like the amount of, of leaked radio transmissions from Earth that would be detectable by the square kilometer array to dozens of light years away from us. So right. suddenly you just listen to space and hear alien TV shows. Essentially, if they're within, uh, what is the radius, like 100 light years, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that it, it will definitely up the ante as opposed to, you know, targeted radio telescope work. Um but I don't know, is it, how likely is it, you know, it goes back to the Fermi paradox, how likely is it that someone is within 100 light years? Yeah. Um, but and then we the, also... It's two square kilometer array. True, true. Or build one in space. Or build one in space. Um, but you also have things like um, like TESS. You know, TESS, if, if you, to go to another techno signature, transiting megastructure, TESS could possibly detect that. Um, it, you know... Uh, and as I as I as it turns out, I didn't realize this. I thought tests could only look pretty close in, but apparently it does take data from things that are further out. So might get more information on things like Tabby Star from it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see that. Um, and then I guess, what else? Uh, another thing that's been interesting me lately is Oumuamua, obviously, um, which there was an interesting paper since, since uh, we last talked. Interesting paper that seems to explain it on that space erosion, essentially, in the interstellar medium can conceivably cause something to become elongated. Oh, and interesting. That... Okay, right. So you're yeah. talking about the shape of Oumuamua, which is like yes. has a 10 to 1 length to width ratio that, you know, people have described it as cigar shaped or, or uh, rendezvous with Rama shaped, right? And so, right. And yeah, so that... they're saying that some kind of interstellar grinding through of dust could do this? Yeah, grinding of dust. And the paper had an, an interesting side effect in that this apparently, and I don't really understand the mechanism for this, but apparently it also would explain why there was no outgassing scene. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's something along those lines. So it was, it was, it was an interesting paper, but I haven't fully digested it yet. And it's something I want to make a video on. Oh, that's cool. But, but it just came out a few days ago. I'll, I'll give you first crack at it then. I won't, I uh, won't jump in. It's not, I know Avi Loeb just did another paper on it, but he yeah. was talking about um, that one of those should crash into the sun every 30 years or so, and a few should come within the orbit of Mercury every 30 years or so. So they actually should be, we should see another one, like now is the time to get ready for the next one, that we should be able, we can expect one within the next couple of decades, now that we have the technology to find them. It's it's interesting because this is this also is there's the comet problem, the interstellar comet problem. We've never seen an interstellar comet, which there's no reason they wouldn't be extremely common, but we've never seen one on a hyperbolic orbit. I thought we, I thought they were detected. No, I don't think not. Well, exocomets have been. Um, Yeah, no, but I thought an interstellar comet has been detected. Well, there were two. There are two candidates uh, that that are captured comets, maybe. um, That I think Jupiter cap. They think Jupiter captured that may have once been to interstellar comets, but as far as an actual fresh you know, comet, bright comet coming through the solar system on a hyperbolic orbit. I don't think anybody's, they've never seen that. And obviously we've been looking at comet orbits for 300 years since Edmund Halley. So that's a little conspicuous. Um, But this new paper may actually explain that, that the erosion process in the interstellar medium pretty much just, just, just shreds them. So. Thank you. FIFO fast. Appreciate that. So Space TV asks, what does GMG personally think is the most interesting mystery in the universe? What's the mystery that you find most fascinating? Interesting mystery of the universe. Um, Well, broadly, it would be alien civilizations. But specifically, the one that interests me the most, I would have to say, still is KIC 8462852 because there even though it appears to be dust there's no good explanation and um, really you don't think the dust explanation like have you talked to the researchers they don't yeah there's i mean what it is it's it's it it clearly is dust because it shows that in its light profile but as to what that dust is doing seems different from from any other star and until we find another one that's doing this it's it's going to be a pretty apparently unique phenomena so that one's still holding holding my interest um but oh i know one i I do have a favorite 
whether Planet Nine exists or not. Oh, that's a good one. And yeah. that's the reason I like that one is because I think we're going to know within a year or two um, because they're, they're zeroing in on it. And it, they're, again, it seems like every month another paper comes out that shows orbital peculiarities that seem to suggest that something's out there. Yeah. And one of the reasons I find that so fascinating is because when you, um, when you think about it, a very, very distant planet from the sun way out there, like planet nine would be, that could be something that migrated out there. Maybe it's the, the solar system's missing super earth, or maybe it's a captured object, in which case an alien planet is sitting out there, not native to the solar system um, that joined it. And I can't think of anything more, more, I can't think of anything that fires the imagination more than that. Yeah. That, you know, this thing could be out there and it may not be from here. And I know that Mike Brown just did, wrapped up an observing session. He was actually in Hawaii when I was there, but he was busy, you know, searching for Planet Nine. Um, right. But, and he had good weather, I believe. Uh, so it, you know, they are still scanning the skies looking because it should be detectable by the biggest telescopes in the world it's just you have to know exactly where to look exactly where to look but then we also have you know sky surveys and such so we've probably photographed it already it's yeah probably somewhere. it's there um it's just a, you don't know where to look and they seem to be zeroing in on where to look more but even if they don't find it then um the lsst will yes so you know when you've got that kind of a sky survey and computers that can sit there and analyze, you know, you don't have to do it like the, like Clyde Tombaugh back in the day where he had, you had to use a blink comparator to see yeah. any movement. And then he finally finds Pluto that way. Now you can use computers and scan all kinds of, uh, you know, images for any slight movement. And um, that'll be the, the, uh, that'll be what gets it if it's there. And there's also talk about a planet 10 too, if you remember that one. No. Uh, yeah, there was. There's, there's a, beyond there's planet, a planet nine. There's a planet ten. Yeah, there are some indicators, although they're much much weaker, as I recall. It's been a long time since I read the paper, but there are indicators that maybe more than one large object out there. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. It doesn't seem uh, like an incomprehensible idea. It is, you know, the solar system is a great big place, but it seems more and more unlikely that you would get these objects collecting large amounts of mass in those vast reaches out there. Um, and well, that's why, that's why it's, it's interesting because if you, if it's a captured planet, you know, that it could have completely different um, chemistry and makeup to earth. And yeah, what happens if it's a God, radioactive heating in the core and it has a subsurface ocean. I mean, I mean, this anywhere. idea that, that Pluto seems to have some kind of subsurface ocean that, mm -hmm. that probably many of the large moons out there do that it, there could be actually hundreds of objects in the solar system with a large subsurface ocean. Like we think there is at Europa yeah. or Enceladus, that these things are actually a lot more common than uh, other places out there. Yeah. And, that was one of the, the delights of the decade for me was that Pluto turned out to be so weird with potential liquid water under ice, but also organics, you know, organic chemistry and um, just presented every kind of mystery you can think of. 
for this object that you would normally would have thought of as just you know probably just a frozen wasteland but no it's it's very interesting world in its own right yeah which means we need to give it back its planet status it 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 paid off and gave us a, a great show so it deserves its planet status. that's it back. that's where you stand yes you is, you're in your your pluto deserves to be a planet Yes, uh, I, I I am defining a planet as it, if it's interesting enough to be a planet, it's a planet. <laughs> which which means I think that's that's as legit a scientific method as anything that's been proposed up to this point. Well, what bothers me though is people are going to say, "Well, can we demote Mercury or something?" And I don't want to get into the the, right. the politics of demoting Mercury's planethood. M- Mercury uh, is interesting. Checkmate. Yeah, I, I, you can make the argument that any object in the solar system is interesting but so uh, if something's small and maybe even orbits another so right so let's make europa a planet because it's interesting okay. enceladus yeah. too and i like iapetus so i want that to be a planet as well but i do think yes. i mean the point is that it's all arbitrary who cares let's not fight they're all just None. wonderful places that need to be explored and and let's not have a fight you could you could you could say that the uranus system has only one planet because there's moons there's not so much going on with them right but miranda except and oberon i think oberon is a liquid water candidate too mm. but not a very good one um that's an that's an ignored planet really you know it's nobody ever really wants to go to it uh, to to uranus yeah to uranus is, is well, and neptune yeah mean... and neptune and and the thing about neptune is neptune has got triton which you know, it was a shocker back in what was that nineteen eighty nine when when it was found to have geysers, you know, just spewing material into space. Um, but yeah, they don't really get a lot of attention, and also I think they're kind of hard to get to um, if you're, you know, it's not that much different than New Horizon going to Pluto. You have to yeah. wait a long time. Yeah, I think that is the highest <laughs> priority is to, you know, if if I was to pick a place for the next big flagship missions to go, it would be some kind of flyby of Uranus, Neptune, or both orbiter. uh, Well, there's a lot we don't know about those two planets and they, they represent an entire class of planet. You know, they're not a gas giant. They're not a terrestrial planet. They are an ice giant. Yeah. Um, So that in itself is interesting because you're going to have all kinds of different dynamics and clearly weird stuff goes on at Neptune because you know, it, 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 it has weather. Um, Voyager, you know, showed that it had a, a dark spot on it and, you know, white clouds and all this stuff. And that dark spot has since disappeared. So it's not like Jupiter's great red spot. It was something yeah. transient. Uranus has been rolled over onto its side. Uh, as yes. you said, you know, uh, something flipped their positions in the solar, as we discovered in our collaboration. Um, uh, yeah. the, the moons are so weird. Uh, yeah, no, all of it. All of it is it are places that ought to be visited, and we need to, to get on that. Uh, yeah. t- Titan or bust, say people Titan in the bust. chat. Well, Titan, that's a different story entirely. We need dedicated missions to that one. Yep. Um, Sean uh, Marston is asking, what do you guys think of Project Breakthrough Starshot or any plans to get to Alpha Centauri? Now, I just did a video on Project Dragonfly, which is a serious attempt to send a probe to Alpha Centauri, but like a big one that can actually break on its way to Alpha Centauri. Um, using a mag sail to slow itself down through the interstellar medium. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, 
I I feel like I got beat up in doing this video. Like a lot of the comments were like graphene monolayer for your solar sail, superconducting wire that's thirty thousand meters long, a uh, hundred megawatt laser. These are all ridiculous. And I and I should have gone into it saying like if. I know we want to go to another star system. I, like, I know Star Trek and Star Wars have told us that you just get in your spaceship and you just fly and there you are. But, like, the most practical possible mission that we can imagine still takes 100 years and requires us to develop new methods of power generation, new material science, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, that at the very is beyond the very limits of what we can do. And that's still going to take a hundred years to get to the nearest yeah. star. It's not something I expect to see. I mean, I, I expect to see somebody's going to send a mission, but it's not something that I expect to see the fruits of, um, which I, I, the only way it's really going to be earth shakingly interesting other than, you know, human civilization going to another star system is if there's a planet involved. And um, other than that, it's it's you can pretty well imagine what a star is like. You know, um, we're, we live next to one. Yeah, um, well, I would assume that we would have mapped out the planets. We know where they are. You know, yeah. we've done direct imaging. We know where those planets are. We know how massive they are. Maybe we've even mapped out some rough continents, atmospheric thing, things like that. Like, like we know it's important. Yeah. Um, I'm I, the thing that that that's see that's another thing about James Webb is that we can look at things like you know get some kind of an idea of like uh, Proxima B and do some studies and try to characterize that planet um, and then I I don't know does the Alpha Centauri system itself the two the double star does, is that a candidate for no planets have been found yet yeah but you know, it seems likely that they could be so, and there was, they thought they had discovered them and then, and then further evidence said it wasn't correct. That's, right. That's what I'm remembering. Yeah. Yeah they, yeah. they didn't, it didn't pan out, but at the same time, if they're terrestrial planets, are really, really hard to, to, you know, to detect, even though they're close. So, so if that system doesn't have any gas giants or anything, we may not spot them. Yeah. But but I guess I and I, I wish that I had been more just to set people's standards because I, I mean I, I almost feel like my job is to be Buzz Killington, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'm like, yeah. and it's funny because when I started down this field, when you go back to the early episodes of Astronomy Cast, I'm the enthusiastic noob going, couldn't we? What about? Why not? And and. Pamela is like, well, this, you know, this is what's realistic. This is what the science tells us. This is what's possible. And yeah. you, um, and you just kind of, and over time, as you learn what's possible and you watch the reality unfold, it is uh, clear that sci-fi has ruined us <laughs> it's me, right. you know you're a science fiction writer this is your fault it is it is it's my fault um and and it's going to get worse because as we realize 
certain things from sci-fi are just not possible. You know, they've aged out of possibility. And a lot of those ideas, you know, things like, um, you know, Star Trek world or whatever, like, you know, they're just not realistic sci-fi anymore because we know too much about the science. But now that science moves forward and we learn more and we know what's not possible, other things become possible in, in sci-fi. So for example, um, no, you're not going to find a spacecraft warping into our star system and, um, you know, firing phasers or something like that. No, you're not going to see that. But what you might see is a von Neumann probe sneaking into the solar system shows up and starts 3D printing out aliens to interact with us. <laughs> so you just, <laughs> you just pick a different, yeah. different area. And in 50 years, people will say, well, that's silly. But I love that idea. Out. Just 3D print them. Yeah, just 3D print out. Uh, don't actually travel to the stars yourself. Yep. Just 3D print yourself once you get there. <laughs> and you could set, you could make copies of yourself. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, so you could have one alien on his home planet whose essence or memories or everything are stored in a von Neumann probe. And he comes out and he gets printed out on another planet. Therefore, he exists in two places at once, more or less. Yeah. In a roundabout way. I like I like that idea a lot, and that's sort of you know the idea for a generation ship. Like instead of sending people to live and die, send a spaceship that just gestates living creatures gestates. when it arrives at its destination. Right, although it's all still pretty creepy. It it is, but I like the idea of the generational ship where you haul out an asteroid or mm -hmm. something like that, um, because it if it's big enough, it's its own community it doesn't really you don't need a planet you just need a city or you know something like that and people could you know just exist in there as a matter of fact i think there was a recent episode of the orville where they yeah <laughs> they had everybody had forgotten that they were even on a generational yeah. ship well isn't that earth right you know earth mm -hmm. is a spaceship floating in space mm -hmm. self-contained uh, we don't seem too existentially depressed that we've been brought into this world to live and die on a on a rock floating in space. It's just it's really just comes down to the size. Like how much luxury do you have on your spaceship planet? And that's when you decide that you really you know you feel. But if it's a small place where you know that you're just going to live and die on the journey to Alpha Centauri and and every moment is spent trying to fix machinery and run from psychotic robots yeah. that you would feel a little mad that, that your forefathers had set this up for you. Well, there's, there's other ways you could do it too. Um, one way, you know, here's another good one about outdated sci-fi suspended animation. You know, they would always put people in suspended animation and that looks like it would never be possible the way it was depicted in sci-fi. But what you might be able to do is instead of putting someone in suspended animation, you kill them, mm -hmm. kill them and freeze them and then bring them back to life when you get to the destination. Right. So you're, you would actually be you're on, on the duration of your journey. You would be dead. Um, I said, no, it's true. Yeah, it, it would actually might. Yeah. Be like, easy. like, yeah. like the problem right, is you freeze the human, like you freeze a living body, then the ice crystals form in the cells and everything dies. But if you yeah. swap out that ice, that water that we are bags of mostly, then, uh, you know, with something else like, you know, formaldehyde or some kind of 
something that doesn't radioactive uh, goo. Yeah, it then... doesn't allow. Well, that's that's actually another problem with it is that um, if you put somebody in suspended animation over time, the natural radioactivity, radioactive com uh, elements in the human body, isotopes, you would actually reach a fatal dosage from your own body. So, you know, I, th I think there's a calcium, <laughs> some, one of them. Right. So you, you, you actually can't do it because of the, you're, you yourself are slightly radioactive. Right. So you have to swap and, out, you have to 3D print out all of those elements or continuously replace them with right. new versions. The nanobots are going to be replacing all of your calcium, which is radioactive. Yeah, you 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 would have to because your body, if it's not self-repairing, which it's doing constantly while you're in normal state, if it's not doing that, then things like cumulative exposure become a problem over thousands of years. Um, That's funny. But you, yeah, and even uh, if you're frozen and you're not experiencing existence, you, the your atoms are still going to have their half life, so they're still going to do their thing. Yeah. So there's yeah nothing. You're the actual material you're made up of will continue to experience time. Um, so you you have that issue. Now, one way around it, though, around all of this is to just dramatically extend the human lifespan. If you live to be 100,000 years old, a uh, 5,000 year journey is not that long. So um, that's, that's the real way to do it is just make it to where humans live dramatically longer than they do. And um, I don't think we're very far from that, to be honest. I think we're a lot closer to uh, leaps in life extension than a lot of people realize. Mr. E of Planet Earth says, I've yet to read a GMJ book. Uh, any recommendations? What's, which book should a person pick up of yours first? It depends on what mood you're in, because one of them is a fun space opera called The Salvagers. So if you're just looking for a fun read, I like to think this one is a fun read. If you want something a little bit, if you want to have an existential crisis and spend a week worrying about whether the universe is a simulation or not, then go with this one, which is called Supermind. And this is the newer book. Spoiler alert, is the universe a simulation? Yes. Okay. Good to know. Yep. Um, so there you go. If you thought that you're living in a simulation, turns out you are. Yes. Um, Although I personally... I'm a little bit skeptical that it is. Oh, no, I, no, no, no. Just in your, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't. But in the book, in the book, I pretend that the universe is, in fact, a simulation. Right, right. Um, <coughs> Peppa Pig is asking, how does the Sophia telescope work? Have you had a chance to see the Sophia telescope, the, the one that's on the side of an airplane for NASA? Oh, that one. And I don't know much about it, to be honest yeah. with you. It's, something i have not looked deeply into yet so it's a it's a 747 and they've got a great big infrared telescope that that is on the side of the airplane and it's in this really cool kind of gimbaled mount and then the airplane mm -hmm. takes off and it flies for hours and hours and hours sort of does a pattern over the pacific ocean or if it's operating out of out of uh, australia i think new zealand then it does a, a pattern over the pacific from there and it is performing the kind of work that a space telescope would do. It gets high up into the atmosphere, gets a minimum amount of atmospheric disturbance, and does these big, long observations of various things. They've used it for seeing tr uh, transits of uh, of various planets. They've they've done a, a ton of observations with it. It's a great idea, and it's sort of a 
a way to get a space telescope for a, a fraction of the price. Uh, I've I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to go for a flight on it, and I just it, timing didn't work out. But I would love to to try it. It sounds. It sounds amazing to sort of be a part of that. And we did we did a live stream. We did we did an episode of the weekly space hangout where the astronaut the astronomers sorry were at the Sophia telescope. Sort of the airplane was in the background while they were having the chat with us. It's amazing. We uh, it, that reminded me during the solar eclipse um, in 2017, I had a camera trained on the eclipse at full totality, and I actually was trying to get like Regulus, you could see that star in, in full, you know, when it was fully blocked. I got home and I looked at the footage and I had caught a plane passing oh, wow. right across the face of the sun. And then I spent um, a good two weeks talking with the principal investigator for NASA's solar eclipse chasing planes to mm -hmm. figure yeah. out if I actually captured it or not. And it turns out it couldn't have been it. It actually just some other airplane. It, it actually, I think it was an F-15. Oh, really? It was one of, yeah, the profile was, hmm. uh, you know, a twin jet like that. But, um, I, you know, it wouldn't be surprising there's Air Force bases all over here. Right. Uh, but there was also a lot of, I know there was some, like, private jets and stuff that were doing private flights. And if it happened where you were, then it could be someone who was actually on a tourist trip to be able to actually see the eclipse yeah. from, from the air. Because I know there was some, if you're, on an airplane when the eclipse is happening and you're going in the direction of it, you can see longer because you get to stay yeah. in the totality path for a longer period of time, which is kind of a neat idea. Yeah. That's actually something that I might consider for the upcoming total solar eclipse. Uh, um, the one in the one in South America. Yeah, no, not that one. The one in North, North America. Oh, 2024. 2024. Yeah. And by some, um, by some complete stroke of luck, I lived in the path of totality for the 2017 eclipse. Wow. And I only had to go to get full totality, <laughs> on, you know, just, just a few miles down the road. Oh, that's amazing. But my state also will be in totality for that eclipse in 2024. Right. So I won't have to drive very far for that either. Yeah, I'm going to have to go far. I, I, I went to uh, Illinois for the 2017 one in Carbondale and we were like yep. mostly clouded out. So we got, I got like a, a five seconds of totality and then right. the, the exit side of it. But uh, 2024, I think we're going to go to, um, uh, we're going to go to Texas somewhere. I haven't figured yeah, that out it, yet. As, as the crow flies, I was just not, far, not far at all from where you were. Um, I was just across the river in Missouri yeah. and um, Missouri, the very Southern tip, the boot heel is going to experience totality again. So I'll probably watch it down from there. Um, I got lucky though in 2017 because I had that same weather and it just happened to clear right in time. And so I got the full totality and I have to admit, I'm addicted to totality now having experience <laughs> that's that's the thing right i had i talked to a lot of people that could have seen totality and they're like well you know we saw a lot of it and we just like went outside and looked up but that's like not the same that is like right. listening to star wars as opposed to watching star wars it i had looked at um eclipse photography and photographs since i was a kid 
you know, 30 plus years of, of photographs, not a single one of them did it justice. I was like, oh my God, now I know why this scared the bejesus out of ancient people. (laughs) Yeah. They stopped their wars. Yes. it, It was, it was, it was, it was unsettling and it felt like the solar system, which usually you see with detachment, but that particular time it came down to you and, um, seemed very tangible and real. Um, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't even notice that plane though at the time. And anybody that wants to see that video, by the way, I put that up on my oh, channel. That's great. But, um, it, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience and I definitely want more totality. So, yeah, that's the thing. You kind of get crazy for it and you just mm-hmm. travel. And there's a certain amount of like, uh, people who just travel the world, like, uh, f- you know, just chasing eclipses, trying to get them all into their brains. So even just the, the quality of the light yeah. before totality, it, it's almost like a black light in yeah. a way. And this that kind this, of weird light, yeah. this sunset that occurs around the entire horizon—it's so weird. Yeah, I uh, I had GoPros set up to capture that, and I even had um, sound set up trying to get the reactions of like birds and animals, and everything got a little bit discombobulated um, during the the uh, totality phase of the eclipse. Yeah, the only animal you would have heard was. The, a few thousand sad people where I was. People... <laughs> a few thousands of sad people. Yeah, just people just kind of moaning, like, oh, just, just just the sound of disappointment, concentrated disappointment in the air. Uh, Max is asking, what do you think of the Starhopper? So it's very fast development at the moment. What do you think about the Starhopper? Hop, little Starhopper, hop. Have you seen the Starhopper? I have not. So the Starhopper is the... Um, the new, you know, okay. So there is the, the BFR, right? The big freaking oh, rocket. Oh, that's and what they're calling they're it. Calling, and so the, the future version is now called the starship and mm-hmm. the booster is called the super heavy. And so they're building a prototype like the grasshopper that will test the vertical takeoff and landing for the Raptor engines and the actual spacecraft. And so people are, you know they're they're they are absolutely building this prototype in Texas, and you can see that it's being covered in stainless steel. It's got three little Raptor engines popping out the bottom, uh, and in theory, we are weeks away from it hopping. It uh, I, I was I was shocked to see the stainless steel. Um, yeah, and I've been looking at Elon's Twitter periodically and he's posting photos of it and it's sort of doesn't look like a spacecraft to me yet but it, it doesn't look like something that'll fly but apparently it's going to it looks so. like a water tower with a nose cone with tubes coming out the side but but it is like the purpose is to test the feasibility of the idea so right. it doesn't have to look pretty it just has to take off hover land right it will test the <clears throat> flight characteristics why well, i won't even be going that fast right so it's going to test the it's going to test those rockets and the yeah. and the flight hardware to make sure that the that the computers can control those those rockets those the raptor engines which have you know haven't been used yet so right they were built specifically for this yeah uh, 
although they certainly were impressive, I saw some tests of uh, the Raptor. Um, now that uses a different fuel too. That's unique. It's it well that. uses methane. Yeah. And you know the the future idea is that you have this big methane plant that just pulls carbon dioxide, <coughs> mixes it with water, makes methane, and pumps it into your fuel. So the, the whole thing will be right. carbon neutral. Uh, it will be powered by solar power essentially because you'll have big solar panels that are that are pulling in the carbon dioxide and making the the rocket fuel. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a, and it works. Interestingly enough, it 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 isn't just Mars. I mean, that if, if you start building fuel depots at Mars, yeah, you can go to you know Europa. You could go anywhere in the solar system essentially using this vehicle. Yeah, and that that actually interests me more because, okay, yeah, colony on Mars, but what kind of a payload could we get with a BFR out to um, Europa? Oh yeah, as, you know, a monster probe. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what really excites me is that this thing's Saturn V level, uh, powerful. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I I can't wait. I mean, this spacecraft, in theory, right, will be capable of just flying to the moon, landing, returning home, like just as one of the like. If today, like, let's go to the moon. Okay, and then they off off they go to the moon. So, yeah. um, I think that, and the, for the price for a few million dollars if, of fuel that's pulled out of the yeah. atmosphere. So it's an interesting time to be a fan of space flight. Someone... It is. It is. The great gutting of launch costs is yeah. SpaceX's main contribution to human civilization is that they made it cheap. And yeah. uh, BFR is even cheaper than, you know, Falcon Heavy and Falcon Heavy is cheaper than, um, Falcon 9 pound for pound so it's yeah. just amazing uh, I think this is going to be our last question Jameson wants to know what are your opinions of the Event Horizon Telescope as far as the science you can provide or any other thoughts on the project well my opinion is I've been waiting for the photo yeah. um, people keep asking so, me spring yeah. they say <coughs> spring 2019 I'm, they say <clears throat> I can't wait to see it but I have no illusions that it's probably not going to be you know, it's this is not going to look like interstellar. You know, it's going to look like, uh, you know, smudge, maybe a blob. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I haven't really put much thought into what else you could do besides an image as far as science goes. But it'll I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. But I mean, the blob will tell you like like scientists will look at the blob and go, OK, Einstein was right. Or they'll look at it and go, Einstein was wrong. Like the shape of the blob will tell them if some of the predictions made by Einstein about general relativity were true or not. So it's a very right, important and, uh, blob. I'm, I'm sure you could figure out stuff about accretion disks too mm -hmm. um, from it, um, which are interesting. I mean, you know, if you go with Kip Thorne's vision of that, which is the movie Interstellar, then it's like, what a, what a crazy place this is, um, or a crazy environment. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, I just, don't let myself get too excited because it's it's sort of a dangling carrot, you know? Yeah. A.V. Scott and Flower says, I keep asking you. Yes, I know. I know. Soon. Spring. I I am told. I, I don't take – I didn't take the picture. It's going to happen when it happens. <laughs> the plot will tell you. All right. Well, we've reached yeah. the end of our hour. Where does the time fly? Uh, JMG, for anyone who maybe doesn't uh, know – hasn't subscribed to your channel 
I highly recommend everybody, the second they finish watching this or even while they're watching this, go over to his channel, subscribe. I'll put links in the show notes, uh, put up cards, put them in the end titles. Uh, you should totally check it out. Is there anything else super interesting that you have been uh, working on that you think people should check out? What's a recent video that you just did? Uh, my most recent video was on... Um... What was my most recent video on? Um, I can't even remember. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that hilarious I... that you like literally spend hours, days working on a project, and then it's just like, at you... oh, I, I got it. It was, it was on the concept of Dyson sunflowers, and how um, life, how he envisions life um, escaping from a an ice shell moon like Europa. So that's the most recent video. Very cool. And of course, you're, you've got this whole second channel, Event Horizon, which is taking off like a rocket. Yes, we will be back with interviews on Event Horizon this month, um, starting with, uh, I think, Avi Loeb, yeah. uh, which will be a two-parter. Um, I had an exhaustive conversation with him. Um, and Isn't then he a treat have... to talk to? Oh, he's I'm unbelievable. The guy's yeah. just... I, I would say... Out of all the guests that I've had so far, he is definitely the most information dense. Yes. Because he, he has so many ideas and is able to articulate those ideas in such a way that it's just fascinating to yeah. talk to him. Yeah, he like on the one hand is one of the people who helped calculate the the what we should expect to see with the Event Horizon telescope, and on the mm -hmm. other hand, he's yep. thinking about laser powered probes Alpha Centauri that he he's perfectly willing to and got a little heat. You know, he got a bit of a backlash for yeah. his willingness to entertain pretty uh, interesting ideas. So he's a real treat to talk to. He is. Yep. He's uh, definitely Great. bold. Definitely well, bold. All right. Well, thanks to everybody who watches today. Uh, thank you so much for the moderators. I know you had a lot of work today. That was uh, that was that kept you pretty busy. So I really appreciate you uh, stepping up and, and, and jumping in there. That was wonderful. Uh, James G, thank you so much. And uh, thanks for interviewing me on your podcast. And I'm sure we'll do this again if people if people want it. We're, Absolutely. Uh, we'll don't have to come back on uh, Event Horizon. Anytime, man. Spot. Anytime. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I will see you uh, next week. And if there are guests that you want me to have on this, please let me know. Put them in the comments. Uh, not in the chat because they'll be gone pretty quickly, but put them in the comments on the video after the fact, and I will try and bring on as many guests as you guys want or do these solo. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.